0: are listening to a podcast from The National. We're not used to this kind of weather here in London really, especially because in the summer normally it rains, but as the sort of weather got hotter and hotter, London got seemingly busier and busier. Uh, in the daytime, I mean, mo- most offices in London are air-conditioned, and you struggle home and you think, oh, well, I'll get through that front door and it'll be all right, and then during the day your your apartment or your home's just heated up to no end. And I think living in London, the noise, the smog you know, crime. No one wants to sleep with their windows open because it doesn't feel
1: too safe. So yeah, it's it's been a sticky, sticky night, um, but there really isn't much to be done to escape it. Our homes aren't really built for, they're built for trapping heat in rather than letting it out. So it's been quite unpleasant for most people.
2: This summer has broken records. Throughout July, Europe sweltered in a baking heat. Paris hit 42 degrees centigrade, Berlin 40, and London 39. In many parts of the world, this would be warm, but not unexpected. But in Northern and Western Europe, it's just not designed for such extremes. Less than 5% of houses have air conditioning, and buildings, public transport, people's fashion, and even daily routines are just not designed for that kind of temperature. While many who could simply tried to go on holiday and enjoy the heat, for those still working in the sticky capitals across Europe, things were less pleasant. They were left taking metro lines that were so hot, they were above regulation for transporting livestock. Even sleeping, when nighttime temperatures were also breaking records, was difficult. But experts warn we should just get used to it. Such extremes will become increasingly common until they're the norm, not the exception. The reason? Climate change. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, James Haynes-Young, and this week we're asking, how do you build a heatproof city? At the start, you heard Taylor Heyman, a reporter in the National's London Bureau, talking about her experiences of the hot weather. But to answer a bit about why this is happening and what the options are, we'll hear from David Shipworth, Professor of Energy and the Built Environment at University College London. Then a bit later, we'll hear from Kareem el who's already living in a city of the future, built to withstand summer temperatures in the UAE without pumping out masses of CO2. So first of all, let's cover some basics. We are already experiencing the impact of man-made climate change. Average temperatures are rising, extremes of hot and cold are increasing, weather patterns are becoming more erratic. Why? As we burn fossil fuels, we're filling the atmosphere with greenhouse gases, like carbon dioxide also known as CO2. This, in turn, is heating up the air. Countries are starting to try and take action to cut carbon emissions, currently billions of tonnes a year. But we're at a point where the best-case scenario will still see average temperatures rise a couple of degrees. So dealing with the heat is going to become more important in the coming decades. The problem is, our methods now just won't cut it
1: around 20 percent of people in the world have air conditioned spaces but we're looking at that growing towards kind of 80 percent over the next few decades as we get more electrification into parts of the developed world so that would really drive up electricity demand and therefore unless we decarbonize it it would drive up the carbon emissions from that electricity
2: so what do we do The answer, Professor Shipworth tells us, is to completely rethink our urban environments, our energy production, and how we interact with the world around us.
1: We can either take the carbon out of the electricity in the first place, so we can do that through generating more electricity from renewables, solar, wind, hydro, potentially nuclear, But we can also reduce the demand from the built environment itself. And I think ultimately we'll have to do both of these things to get close to meeting our emissions targets.
2: Cities suffer from something called urban heat islands. Basically, it boils down to the fact that the stuff our buildings, roads, pavements are made of is good at warming up. The cars and buses we drive through the streets are hot, the sun beats down on glass-warming buildings, and there's not too much vegetation. Outside cities, things are different. Shading trees don't warm up so much, and grass is good at dissipating heat. The impact can be significant, especially at night, when all the warm concrete radiates heat back out. A city of one million people can be between one and three degrees warmer than the rural surrounding areas. That might not seem a lot, but when temperatures are nearing 40 degrees, that can really make a difference. At a city level, Professor Shipworth says we're going to have to start building more green spaces but we also have to change what our buildings are made of. Designed to reflect heat, not absorb it. On a single building, we can look at how the sun hits it. Use shades to block some of the rays and use better insulation. We can also look at how air moves around buildings.
1: We're seeing the advent of people starting to have green roofs on buildings so that there's a, a big thermal mass sitting on top of the roof to absorb heat but also the foliage there is stopping the heat entering the building. Um, We would also be expecting to see potentially more use of water in cities so that we're capturing and reusing water more efficiently locally, but we can also use some of that water to help cool buildings through things like evaporative cooling. So we might have situations where we start to design urban spaces with fountains so that that pre-cools the air that's coming into buildings and so we then have less work to reduce the temperature further using things like air conditioning systems.
2: We also need to be smart about the way that cities are laid out.
1: One of the challenges we face at the moment is quite often air conditioning systems are dumping air into the space between buildings and that area, that air isn't flushed out. And so then often that same warm air is drawn back into the buildings. And this is a a kind of um, positive feedback loop that we want to try and avoid. So we need to think about how we flush out those urban canyons to make sure that we're getting sort of cleaner, cooler air in to draw into our air conditioning systems in the first place.
2: But one of the amazing things is a lot of the effective techniques that we know about we've used for hundreds of years before the rise of electricity and AC units.
1: These are technologies that have been around a long time. We used the technologies because we didn't have alternatives. And so we tried to perfect this idea of drawing air through cooler spaces into buildings. And you do see that a lot, as you say, in Moorish architecture. Um, You also see the, the classic evaporative cooling towers. Um, And a lot of these are coming back, but with modern twists on them. So now we can start to use those same ideas, except use modern materials, so that they're actually more efficient at removing heat from buildings.
2: Professor Shipworth pointed out a particular issue for people in places like Britain, places that are usually quite cool. I think it's
1: it's been very interesting in the UK because we do rarely get the kind of hot weather we've had. So we, we just broke temperatures and had a temperature of about 38 degrees um, in southern England. I think the interesting thing with climate change is while there will be a net increase in average temperatures, the main effect will be that we get much more extremes. And so we need to think about extremes at both ends of the spectrum. So we will get much more intense rainfall as well as these periodic hot spells. The the challenge in the UK is that in fact what we have been doing is trying to reduce the heat loss from our buildings. So we've been changing our building standards. That means that our buildings lose less heat over winter, which is where we use most of our energy. But the the flip side of that is that quite often we're now finding that those same buildings are overheating in summer. The concern we have is that we're also interested in installing things like heat pumps, which are effectively like a refrigeration technology. But while that is a a great technology, a very efficient technology for warming, if people start using it a lot in summer to cool buildings, then that will drive up our summer energy demand. And we're already seeing in the south of England that The demand for cooling in summer is exceeding the demand for heating in winter in terms of electricity from the grid.
2: So how do we get architects designing greener buildings, town planners zoning more parks, and buyers opting for greener options? The first option is government regulation. The second is consumer demand.
1: So regulation, I think, will be one of the primary responses. Um, But we would also expect to see a market develop for homes that are performing better in terms of keeping people cool and pe- keeping people warm and the research is that that has a small but i think there is a bit of an effect on on house prices as a result of that in the UK, the environment is considered the top political prior- priority by most people, um, which is surprising in the current context of Brexit. How much that will be sustained, we don't know. There's been a recent real focus around the the issues of climate change, both in terms of high-profile television programmes, but also Extinction Rebellion and the work that Guthrie Thunberg and others have been doing.
2: To find out how some of this looks in practice, we spoke to Kareem Aljissa. Who lives in a community in the desert he's the executive director of Nexus, a sustainable community developer and a resident of sustainable city in dubai in the deserts around dubai sustainable city is a community built with energy conservation and waste reduction at its core they've tried to plan a community that's livable but with a low impact on the environment it's largely car free it grows some of its own food and produces a lot of its own energy.
0: The, uh, the city, the plot is, is 5 million square feet. So it's about one kilometer by half a kilometer. And within that, we have 500 villas. And we, we actually group them into five clusters. And, and that had a social objective because uh, one villa mixed with five, 499 villas, you tend to feel a little bit um, singled out, right? Or, you know, you might drown in the masses. And and since we want to create and really establish a sense of community, so community building requires that you have smaller clusters. And so 100 villas is equal to 100 uh, families, 500 people, and that's really the size of a small town or a village. So that's that's first on the layout. But then within those clusters, uh, we have kept the cars out, so people have to park, uh, guests or tenants have to park in designated areas and then walk a short distance into the cluster. The clusters, uh, all the villas within the clusters avoid the sun as much as possible. So um, the windows and the balconies and the gardens, they face north. So this is where the light is going to come, but we avoid the sun. All the south-facing walls, because we are in Dubai, uh, in in, in our latitude, uh, are exposed to the sun, but they are completely closed and extremely well uh, insulated. So we want to avoid thermal heat gains by simply orienting the homes away from the sun. And then the streets that we have, we call them sikkas, which is an old Arabic term for narrow streets. Because the streets are narrow, they're six meters wide, which is required by civil defense, but they also have an orientation which maximizes shading. So the villas, they cast their shade on the streets, and then we avoid that vertical sun in the summer as well and then the uh, the actual typology of the streets we make them we, we don 't have any asphalt in the city because cities they capture a lot of heat all cities around the world, and The darker the surface, the hotter it gets so we 've replaced asphalt with interlock and these are little blocks of stones like almost like cobblestone, and those they stay much cooler in summer by a margin of twenty degrees based on the measurements that we took so those are small uh features and design features that we've incorporated to reduce that heat island you know these pockets of heat that we feel in the streets at night because this is when the heat is released back into the atmosphere so all this, although the sun has set it's still usually very hot in cities well into the evening but not in the sustainable city
2: so why does kareem see the need for places like sustainable city
0: we are on a wrong uh, development course and have been for many decades it is only in the recent, I would say, in the, in the last couple of years that we are now uh, more aware and understanding of the global challenges of, of climate change. Uh, we are on a collision course, and we see that all over the world, And simply because our lifestyle is not sustainable, be it in Dubai or in France or in the U.S. or in some c- countries in Africa or in China, etc., cetera, etc., cetera all these sectors which make make up life urban life have to change and have to change really quickly and so the sustainable city is is one example of how we can build new communities new cities which have a significantly lower footprint and on the carbon side what we do is you know this is not just uh, i'm not i'm not you know selling uh beautiful uh, slogans and 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 targets what we do is we monitor everything, everything that is happening in the sustainable city. So we, do a, we measure all the emissions that we emit in a year. And this is what all communities have to do. This is called a greenhouse gas inventory. Because we, we don't know and you cannot manage what you do not monitor. As a developer, and so the institute is really about pushing those boundaries, we have, a, we have an urban DNA, that's what we call it. This is our DNA for designing uh, future cities. And that DNA is... Uh, I mentioned briefly it's about uh, social sustainability, which is about wellness and well-being and community building and inclusion. It's about economic sustainability because sustainability has to be affordable. It's not for the rich. It's got to be for everyone. Otherwise, we're not going to make the, the planet a better place again. And in the middle, at the heart of sustainability, is really environmental sustainability.
2: So Sustainable City is now a community of thousands of people, living in small clusters designed to keep out the worst of the summer heat. They have bike lanes and footpaths connecting the clusters. The whole thing is built around an urban farm.
0: Farming is really, uh, this is where technology is really giving us a leg up. Uh, Farming has progressed so much from conventional to indoors to vertical farming. So what we have uh, are different um, technologies being applied. So we have biodomes, and those are like 300 square meters. Uh, They they look interesting from above, uh, a bit lunar. And uh, we control the uh, indoor climate in these biodomes uh, through a very simple, low-tech cooling system called fans and pads. And so in these biodomes, we produce leafy greens and some vegetables, such as chili and cherry tomatoes. But most of our production are leafy greens like uh, mint and thyme and uh, basil, etc. About half a million pots are produced every year, and 5% of that is redistributed to residents for free. But then we also have spaces outside. And so what's really unique about the sustainable city, we invite residents to grow their own food between October and April when the weather is pleasant. And uh, last year we had 75 families. They signed up for a plot of land, about two by three, six square meters or eight square meters. And then they would grow their own zucchinis and eggplants and sweet potatoes and corn. And uh, so that really gives a flavor to the community.
2: The community is covered in photovoltaic solar panels, both to shield from the sun and also to generate electricity.
0: So the buildings, actually, we've used uh, in addition to the insulation and the partitions inside. On the outside, we have something called the UV-reflective paint. So we have light-colored uh, walls, and the paint itself, the chemistry of the paint, and the physical structure uh, gives it a, a UV-reflective property, which means some of that sun which hits the wall is deflected. Uh, so again, this is where innovation can support you know our our goals, which is to be more energy efficient and to reduce our consumption of electricity. And then the rooftops to uh, to satisfy and to achieve that net zero energy target, all the rooftops in the villas, uh, in the villas and in the parking areas are covered are solar shaded. So we have PV modules uh, throughout the community. So when you see aerial photos of the city, it's about. About 16% of the entire land area is covered in PV modules. Uh, The villas they have, they can produce 50 to 60% of their annual consumption. And the public spaces can produce 100% of their annual consumption.
2: The other thing they've done at Sustainable City is bringing back traditional cooling mechanisms. Like the narrow alleys between homes, they've also built a thing called Bajil.
0: So in the middle of of every cluster, we have something called a barjil, which is also a beautiful Arabic term. And it's really a, an architectural feature uh, inspired uh, from, you know, all societies in the GCC and the UAE. And so a barjil is a wind tower. So at first, it has, it's an architectural landmark. But the wind tower has been modified to bring down some cooler air from the top to the bottom. As we know, cold air drops because it's heavy and hot air rises because it's lighter. And so these bergils, or wind towers, they provide a cooling effect within a 7 meter radius. So it, is not, it doesn't supply the homes, it's not district cooling, it's simply to try to modify the microclimate in that public space near the playground so we encourage people uh, to spend more time, more time outdoors.
2: So why do people want to live in a sustainable city? There's a number of reasons. The obvious is those seeking somewhere with a lower impact on the environment. But there are also those tempted by the costs. With so much electricity produced on site and water recycled, the monthly bills are, Kareem says, around 60% lower than your typical equivalent property in Dubai. So what are the challenges for projects like Sustainable City?
0: When you are an early adopter, when you are pushing the boundary, when you are creating a wave, it is about perception. So there were a lot of skeptics uh, across the board and uh, but gradually you know i think we have won those skeptics over and uh, well the weather is the is the greatest challenge right and, uh, and so we believe that having now having a proof of concept in in the hot uae climate makes it uh, easier for us to design and build and operate uh, similar sustainable cities in other climates
2: so where does kareem want to see things in 5 10 or 20 years time
0: so our vision for the future is to see the sustainable city by us and by all other developers uh, emulated and we want to copy it and in, in different communities, in different societies, in different climatic zones and so if today we are just one drop in the ocean, perhaps 10 years from now we can become a small wave and then these 2 billion people who will come and live on the planet above the 7.6 billion we have today, you know, they have a choice. They can live in a better community which is much more environmentally friendly.
2: Already living in a reality where the world is getting hotter. That means we should already start looking at future proofing our cities. The process is long, and there's not just one fix here or there, but a complete approach to urban design. But like Sustainable City in the deserts of Dubai, people are showing it's possible. So the best way to beat the heat is simply to build for it. Thanks this week to our guests, Professor Shipworth and Kareem Aljissa. To hear more, tap the subscribe button in your podcast app to get all the latest beyond the headlines. And check out more of our coverage at thenational.ae. We were produced this week by Aisha Khan with assistance from Hanafinity. I've been your host, James Haynes-Young.